this pulse, we do not have baptisms going on, so we're spending a little time worshiping. We're spending a little time in the Word. We're going to talk about this for a minute, but let's just all collectively take a deep breath. We've come in here to hear from God. And like Elijah learned, God wasn't in the great, big, loud storm. Certainly God inhabits the praises of His people, and I do believe that when we make a great noise, when we make a joyful noise, when we lift up our voices willingly, I believe the Lord inhabits those praises. I believe that. I believe that. But I felt like when we were over there singing, and, and it felt like we were going to do some remodeling when the roof came in. I thought, you know, Lord, what's up? And, uh, and I feel like the Lord said, hey, remind them that I told Elijah, I'm not always in the great big noise. That we just come in and we take a breath and we be quiet for a minute. And we simply say, come Holy Spirit. What do you have to say to us tonight? It's what we came for. Let's just ask the Lord. Holy Spirit, we want you to come and say what you have for us as we be quiet. What do you have for us? You who are God. I want to use a scripture tonight that as I was praying over this worship service, <clears throat> and not that I don't pray over Sunday morning services, I promise I pray over Sunday morning services. It's just, I always find myself saying, I prayed over this passage for this pulse, and, and, I, and I want to share it with you. And, and I, I, want to, I want to invite you to find yourself in this passage. I want to invite you to say, God, where are you touching my heart? Because I believe that God wants to touch your heart. I believe that some of you are ready for um, prayer ministry time. And I want to encourage you, um, don't step up until I invite you to step up. We're going to do things just a little bit different um, as we go into this prayer ministry time. But I want to look at a passage that initially caught me um, as weird for a pulse. Until... I got up here and did the run-through and began to think about all of the worship team and the people that are doing things and the people that are coming in to say, God, I need you to speak to me. And so I want to set this up just a little tiny bit because I want to talk to you about Joshua. Um, I want to talk to you about pretty much an amazing guy, but I want you to remember that he was just a normal guy. He, he really was. He's just a guy. Joshua was just the guy. He was a faithful guy. But he was a normal guy. He was Moses' right-hand man. He was his, his executive. He was the guy that followed Moses everywhere, went where Moses went, did what Moses told him to do. And 40 years into his relationship to Moses, he finds himself taking Moses' place. Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, let my people go, out of Egypt, into the wilderness, where they were supposed to be for just a couple of weeks before they entered the promised land that God 
promised them and prepared for them. They were not supposed to fight any battles in that, and don't take my word for it, open up your word and look at it. They were not supposed to fight any battles. The scripture says that God was going to drive the enemy out with the hornet, the great hornet. He was going to drive them out. It was going to be a great picture. What an incredible story. And somewhere in the midst of this, rather than entering the promised land, Moses said, uh, or the people came to Moses and said, we're not going to go enter the promised land. Um, you know, let's just check it out, okay? And so he sends some people in there for 40 days. They wandered all around, okay? These 12 spies wander around for 40 days, and they come back, and they've got grapes clusters that are so big that they have to physically carry them on branches between them, like somebody shot a deer and they're carrying it back, only it was grapes. They saw just the land flowing literally with milk and honey. But they took their eyes off of the promise of God and they put their eyes on the people in the land. And they were giants. There were giants in the land. And they said, oh no, there's giants in the land. And they said, Moses, we're not, we're, we should not go in there. Two guys, Caleb and Joshua, said, Moses, it doesn't matter what's in the land. Our Lord will fight for us. We're going in. We should just go in. Just go in. And they took a popular vote and chose not to. As a result, they spent one year in the wilderness for every day that they were in the promised land. Forty days in the promised land, 40 years in the wilderness. They still saw miracles. God did not leave them, even though they had to be in the wilderness. God did not leave them. Their shoes, their clothes did not wear out for 40 years. The same stinking pair of sandals for 40 years. Style did not change amongst the Israelites for 40 years. And then when it was time to go into the promised land, in the course of 40 years, everybody other than the priests above the fighting age 20 years of age and older, died in the promised land. Or excuse me, in the, in the wilderness. They died in the wilderness. They didn't get to enter the promised land. Moses did not enter the promised land. Moses stood on a hill and looked across and saw the promised land. But because he had disobeyed God, God still walked with him, but he missed out on a blessing. And so in the course of events, he turns leadership over to Joshua. And he says, Joshua, this is the deal. And, and God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous, and that's the truth. And so the picture here is that Joshua is entering the promised land. You are entering your promise. God is going to give you what you've asked for. But what are you asking for? So Joshua is entering the promised land. He's leading. Moses has died. He's already destroyed Jericho and learned a hard lesson in the process. Because instead of destroying all the goats and sheep and camels and everything, the men kind of kept some of the stuff for themselves. And as a result, when they went and attacked Ai, the next village, 36, I think it's 36 soldiers died, Israelites died. And, and, and uh, Joshua cried out. Oh, Joshua cried out. And so he's destroyed Ai and was thankful for God in that campaign. He's been commanded to kill, drive out all the people groups in the land that God is giving them because God's not doing it with the hornet now. As a result of their disobedience, they have to do it. But God will be with them. God will be with them. Israel 
wasn't sure about all this, okay? Word gets out to the locals that they are to be taken over, driven out, or killed. They literally dress up. These people are called Gibeonites. They literally dress up in the oldest, nastiest, most run-down, most homeless clothes that they can find. And they said, these people are going to kill us. We better go make a deal. We better go create a treaty with these people. And they were living right next to where the Israelites were. And they said, we got to make this look good. Everybody put on your nastiest, oldest, most torn up, moth-eaten, rat, whatever, clothes. Just, just put that on. That's what we're going to do, and we're going to go see these Israelite neighbors. They got their, their, their nasty old broken down donkeys, and they put nasty old broken down saddles on them, and they put nasty old broken down big water skins that had been patched and put back together, looked like they couldn't hold water. They got everybody's nastiest, most moldy, gross, awful, been on the shelf too long bread, put it in nasty sacks with holes in it, strapped it onto the donkey, probably just dirtied themselves up really bad, didn't take a bath and then they marched out and went to see Israel don't take my word for it read it yourself this is what the scripture says it's what the scripture says and they show up and they make a treaty and they say listen we've traveled from so far we're exhausted and we heard about the Lord your God and we want to make a treaty for you. And Joshua says, how do we know you're not living right next door to us? And they said, come, taste, eat our bread. And of course, he breaks it and it's just all nasty and gross and maybe maggots in it, I don't know, but it's, it's gross. And they're like, well, things must be as they say. Israel's like, uh. Joshua's like, well, and the Gibeonites said, check it all out. And that's where we are. We're at the place where the Gibeonites, but nobody knows they're Gibeonites, say to Joshua, check it out. See if we're not from thousands of miles away, hundreds of miles away. See if we haven't traveled for years to come, whatever it is. And in Joshua 9, verse 14, it says, the Israelites sampled their provisions. The Israelites sampled their provision but did not inquire of the Lord. And then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live. And the leaders of the assembly ratified it with an oath. And three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. So the Israelites set out on the third day, something about a third day with God, set out on the third day, came to their cities, Gibeon, Kephra, Biroth, Kiriath, Jerem, but the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly of Israel had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. And the whole assembly grumbled against all the leaders, but all the leaders answered and said, we've given our oath to the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them. And so Joshua makes a peace treaty. Elders ratified it. The Gibeonites reveal themselves for who they are. And Joshua's like, ah, slap my head. If he had an emoji, that's where it would have been in your Bible. Ah, slap my head. Right there. God said, drive them out. He did not say, make a peace treaty with them. He said, drive them out. Do the work of the Lord. 
But they showed up and he fooled them. And then they were like, ah, what are we going to do? What is this? And they could not drive them out. They had to let them be. So what they did do, however, was the Gibeonites became servants in the temple. They became slaves. They had to serve them. They became water carriers and wood choppers and gatherers for all of Israel. And I, I think that scripture goes on to say, and even to this day, they are still. And so we see what's going on. But Israel had a job to do and an inheritance to receive, milk and honey to lay hold of, homes to move into, vineyards to harvest, livestock to care for. They were to be rich. And last Sunday, we looked at this truth from John 10, 10. I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And I'm going to keep pounding that word parisos into you because it means um, vehemently more abundant than what you're used to and what's around you. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it parisos. Don't settle for less than parisos. But in order to receive parisos, you can't make a deal with the Gibeonites. You can't. And I watch young people right and left. I watch older people right and left compromise their relationship to God because this makes good sense. And all they're doing in my mind and in my fashion, and I struggle with it myself at times, I get caught and it's like, oh, Lord, I made a deal with the Gibeonites and I didn't realize what I was doing. And we wonder why we're not eating the milk and honey just yet. But listen, listen. God hasn't left us. He's not hanging us out to dry. We just have to continue to press in to follow him. Because here's these Gibeonites. We, we get to this place in our relationship to God and whatever it is, whatever your, your promised land is, where we begin to say, God, it's taking so long. In Jesus' day, after he had ascended, people, Paul preached that Jesus was coming back. And he actually, they actually believed it was going to physically be in their lifetime. And they kept saying, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? And, and the scripture says that the Lord your God is not um, late, as some people would consider lateness. He is long-suffering, wanting that none should perish. And even today we're saying, well, Joe, it's been 2,000 years. Where is he? Don't get wound up yet. Don't make a deal. Don't compromise your relationship to God for the sake of the people around you. Don't do it. The land that was promised to you, the land flowing with milk and honey, that job, that relationship, that pennies, that whatever it is, is coming. Do not compromise with the Gibeonites. And so we look at this story, and, and, and it's like they waited, and they waited, and waited for God, and Moses was up on the mountain, and they got you know, golden calves that they've sacrificed to, and different things are going on in their lives. And it's like, where is God? Where is Moses? Joshua, when are we going to enter the promised land? How long is this whole adventure going to take? When do we get to start building houses and settle down? It's been 40 years, and we're so tired. Because sooner or later, it's taking so long, and then it becomes, this is so hard, God. Everybody else is getting ahead but me. 
Everybody else has a spouse. Everybody else has a better job. Everybody else is making more money. Everybody else is, is, is succeeding and I'm not. Everybody else, everybody else. And God, you don't understand, this is hard. Life is hard. Parenting is hard. Being an employee is hard. Making money is hard. It's life. It's life. It's just life. It's not hard. It's not easy. It's not. It's just life. But we sit back and we start going, but the struggle, God, the struggle is what everybody else is struggling with. There is no temptation that has seized you except that which is common to man. Take a deep breath. It's okay. You're not the only one struggling with this. Listen to the Word of God as He speaks into your life about the Gibeonites that are trying to make a treaty with you to draw you away from the kingdom of God. Listen to what he's saying to you. Don't compromise. Chasing after Jesus Christ is ridiculous. It doesn't make sense to this world because the values of God are upside down to what we see around us. But what happened was it was taking so long, it was getting so hard that they moved alone. And I wonder if we miss our best if we miss our parisos sometimes, not completely, but simply because we forget to ask God. Did you catch that in the story? I left it out until this point. I read it to you. It was right in the first line. Right in the first line. Let me go back and just read it for you. The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord how often do we make decisions and we forget to say hey God do you want us to do this I've shared this story before in years gone by there was a time in my life I was about 26 years old and I got offered I was living in Dayton Ohio I was not a pastor was not even considering being a pastor I was chasing after Jesus and loving every moment of it and I was offered a job down in Dallas, Texas, 1986. I went down there, took a leave of absence from Kodak. I worked down there for a month for somebody. He offered me $50,000 a year in 1986. That was a lot of money, especially when all you're doing is shoveling gravel and pushing a broom and bossing people around. That was going to be my job, $50,000. I put a deposit down. I decided that's what I was going to do. I put a deposit down on a house. It was going to be $400 a month. $400 a month for rent? Are you kidding me? Nobody had lived in this house yet, but I thought, man, we're going to live in style now. I had one child, and I just wrestled back and forth. It's like, ah, wow, that's a lot of money. Ah, this could be great. Ah. But for a month, I didn't necessarily inquire of the Lord. On the 30th day, my wife was fixing to fly back to, instead of driving back with me, she was going to fly back to Dayton, Ohio. We told her parents we were moving to Dallas, or Fort Worth, actually. And so they were crying, getting everything ready. I was stealing their daughter away from them, and how could I do this to them? And it was just like, wow. Now I know how that felt, okay? Okay, I get it. I get it. 
11 o'clock at night, I put my wife to bed. We had one little baby girl. You see her jumping around up here on this stage. But she was only this big back then. And, and I just said, I can't sleep. You just go to bed. I'll put you on the airplane in the morning. Then I'm going to drive 18 hours home. We'll get everything. We'll come back. And I remember saying, you know what? I need to just pray. And I need to say, God, what are we going to do? And God said, finally, finally. And he said, you choose. I've been waiting for you, Joe, but you choose. Because if you move to Fort Worth, I'm there. And if you stay in Dayton, I'm there as well. But you choose. And it was at that point that I stopped and I said, Lord, what's best for my family? And as much as I processed it out, I really believe the Lord said, what's best for your family is to stay there in Dayton, for $24,000 a year, $25,000 a year, continue to work for Kodak and move forward. And we did that. And the long and the short of it is here we are today. God would have met us at any place, but God is waiting for us to ask. Inquire of the Lord. Don't move alone. Are you missing your best parisos? Because you're making decisions that make sense because you're looking at the outside, I don't know, images. And you don't realize that those people live right next door to you and they're Gibeonites. But in your head, you think, oh, this makes good sense. They live far, far away. This can't touch me. It can't hurt me. It's okay. The Israelites sampled their provision but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty with them. Making a decision without God is just not good rational sense because stewardship is not doing, excuse me, stewardship is not getting the best and the most for your money. That's not stewardship, believe it or not. That has nothing to do with stewardship. That has everything to do with money, financial management. Stewardship has to involve a steward and an owner of the money. Getting the most for your money does not mean that there's a steward and somebody who owns the money. Being a steward means that you are managing somebody else's property and you are responsible to do what they say even if it sounds stupid to you. Even if it sounds ridiculous to you. Even if it doesn't go with good, common, Christian, American sense. When the Lord said, sell everything, give to the poor, come follow me to that young man, that was good stewardship. It would have been if he'd have done it. Because doing with the possessions, what the owner of the possessions says, is good stewardship. And that's what we want to get a hold of. And Joshua forgot that for a second. Noah, I want you to invest in an ark. I want you to change your career, and for 100 years, I want you to build an ark. Not good stewardship, Lord. There's no water, no place to float the boat. It made all the sense in the world when they were standing waist deep in water, and it was still raining, right? Good stewardship. Sell everything you've got, give to the poor, come and follow me. Become a pastor. Go into full-time ministry. Become a missionary. Take the church job. 
Everybody wants to be a church planter. That's just on my heart and my mind right now. But I remember when I did too. But we all want a safety net. And Jesus said, I'll be your safety net, and that's the only one you get. That's how it works. <laughs> Jump. <laughs> I'll be there. Not, I'll be there, then jump. See? And so I want to encourage those of you that are considering church planting, be aware of that. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough problems of its own. Don't sit here and say, but what if, but what if, but what? Jesus said, stop saying that. You live today, you don't even know if you get a tomorrow. So be faithful with today. That's what he said. Seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus said, and all these things will be given to you as well. What about that? Put me first, moving the kingdom forward first, and watch what I begin to do. Jesus said, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, not if it's gone, so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwelling. What am I supposed to do with worldly wealth on behalf of the kingdom of God? Expend it bringing people in that's what it says that's what jesus said that's not what joe wood said that's what jesus said think about that when we planted this church i was bivocational and had been for six years at another church and fully intended to continue to do that i do what i'm doing because god said do it not because of salaries not because of what's in it for me i don't want to compromise with the gibeonites god is not going to say yes to us compromising to immorality. He's not going to say okay to us compromising to lying. He isn't going to allow us to ignore broke it, the broken, the fatherless, the widows, the downtrodden, because that's where his heart is. God tells us we shouldn't be dating and marrying unbelievers. God tells us that we should seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. So when I go to God, if all he ever says to me is yes, I might not really be listening to God. I might not even if it makes good sense. The devil will distract me by giving me what I want, not by showing up with red horns and bat wings. The Scripture says he appears as an angel of light in beauty. More money and more riches is the fastest way to falling away from God because then you have to protect and care for more and much. And then what will I say to God when I meet him? Because the more I have, the, the more I lose my awareness of my need for him at times. I gain a need to protect what I have if I have more. I foolishly begin to think it's mine, and God cannot provide for me anymore. And I wonder what's going on. Those are my thoughts as I look at this story of Joshua and the Gibeonites. And there's times in our lives that we make decisions and we forget to ask God first. We forget that more and bigger is not always better. We allow it to distract us. Sometimes there's something about working hard and, and struggling a little bit that helps us grow and mature. But there are times when we feel like yeah, okay, but Pastor Joe, I compromised with the Gibeonites. I didn't know they were Gibeonites. I didn't know this was going to happen. I thought they were born-again Christians. I thought they loved Jesus. I thought this, but this is where I am. And God says, it's okay. I love that God did not leave Joshua. 
He just needed Joshua come to the realization that you did something I asked you not to do. Have you ever found yourself there before? Oh, man. I'm not doing it God's way. I'm doing it my way. And look where I am now. And this isn't what I wanted out of life. And God, I, I didn't know they were Gibeonites and this is what was going to happen. But it made good sense. And God said, no, no. But now let's work together at it. Let's rectify this situation. You can't stay there. You either have to enslave the Gibeonites or wipe them out. But if you made a, a, a treaty with them, you're not allowed to wipe them out. The curse will come down on your head. Now we have to go with it. But I don't want you to think that God is mad at you because you made a bad decision. And the results of it are threatening to strangle you. I want you to know that God still has forgiveness. God still has mercy. God still has a, a means of putting your life back together. God still wants parisos for you. And that's where we are today. Parisos for you. Maybe we've interacted with the Gibeonites. And we're thinking, it is all my fault. I, I did do this. I'm just getting what I deserve. Okay, let's set that down now. Because my God has forgiveness for that. Now it's okay to say, God, will you save me from this? From my choice. I did this. Can I give it to you, God?